Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Thank you that we have a new dad, the God of the heavens, that if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer in the family of the devil. Satan, the father of lies, is no longer our father. We have a new father, a wonderful father, who invites us to come, who insists on bringing good things into our life and hard things as well to help us be better as that will make us happier and cause glory to rise up to the Father and bring heaven on earth. We ask you now to be with us as we talk about this issue of fellowship and its importance in the Christian life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have been spending this summer talking about uh, this series, Let's Follow Jesus, and each week we look at a different aspect a different foundation stone or pillar of the Christian faith uh, lived out in the Christian life. So this isn't primarily doctrinal in the sense of these are the things that are to be believed, but uh, it's a step beyond that. These are things that how should we then live if we believe those things and if God has done that. Today we're going to talk about fellowship. The title is Two Are Better Than One. Two are better than one. That's taken from Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 9. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. So many people today are lonely. In many cases, very few people initiate. You go into situations, and it's like you're in a crowd, but you're all alone. Very few people seem to care. We seem to be more and more of a disconnected generation. And you don't have to walk out on the street to feel that. Many people live as strangers in their own home. There's very little real communication. There's often uh, little trust. You may feel that many that in very few situations does ever, anyone ever really ask you how you're doing and wait to listen to what you have to say, and even when they do, uh, to feel like they really cared. I wonder today how you are doing in building Christian friendships. I think it seems to get harder as life, in life as you get older. Now, Christians are supposed to have the edge on this, but it doesn't always seem to actually work its way out, does it? We've been forgiven, and therefore we have a basis on which to forgive others and love others and relate to others. We, As Christians, we have an ethos of love and service. 
we're supposed to be people of the truth, that we are forthcoming and not uh, living in lies and telling lies. We've been given a standard to go by. It's not just willy-nilly, do whatever you want, but we know that uh, the Bible is our, our blueprint, and that should have good results in, in the way we relate. But so often we live in conflict in, uh, in, or in parallel. There's not actually a, a, a war going on or an argument, but it's like we're parallel tracks. And I go my way, and the people in my life go their way, and we really don't connect in any meaningful way, or even living just in isolation. Part of that comes from just living in America and having so much. Having abundance tends to produce isolation. Why? Because you have many resources, and with those resources, you can pursue what you want, and what you want usually isn't what exactly what anybody else wants. So you can go off and pursue that with your money if you want, uh, you wanted to do a particular trip to a particular place in a particular way, and nobody else thought that was a good idea. So, yeah, you can go off and do that, but guess what? You'll do it by yourself. Have fun. And then you realize, well, it wasn't that much fun doing it by myself. But part of our isolation comes because we've been so blessed as a nation. It's sort of ironic, isn't it? But the Christian life, even though receiving Christ is individual, I can't become a Christian for you. You can't become a Christian for me. Just because your mom loved the Lord doesn't mean you will. As they say, uh, uh, if a mouse is born in a biscuit tin, that doesn't make him a biscuit. Uh, if you were born in a Christian home, that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. You need to respond in faith and ask Christ into your life uh, if you're going to be saved. So the, the decision to become a Christian is an individual one, but the Christian life is always corporate. It's always uh, with others in mind, others in view. It's to, meant to be lived and expressed in community. I wonder just, for example, when you walked in this room this morning, what was going on in your mind? That's an indication of where you are in your understanding of the idea of fellowship. When you walked in the door, what were you thinking? Were you thinking coffee? Maybe you were thinking about what was in the service. There are all kinds of things, and I'm not trying to put a, a, a law on it, but I'm just saying that the way you walk into a room of Christians, and particularly if it's your church, so it's not a group of strangers, you're not the newcomer, the way you walk in there says something about how you understand and value fellowship. Do you walk in wondering, is anybody going to speak to me today? Do you walk in saying, this is such an unfriendly church? Or do you walk in thinking, I bet there's somebody here lonely today. Help me not to just greet my friends, but to have my eyes and my heart open. Help me to be able to wander over and get a cup of coffee, but realize there are other things much more important here, so that as I get my coffee, I've got my, my radar out to see, Lord, who could I encourage today by greeting them? Is there anybody sitting by themselves with their cup of coffee and their little handout, and maybe they're feeling lonely, you know, and maybe you don't feel like you're the most, most outgoing person in the world, but you've learned to say, hi, good morning, glad to see you here today. You can do that. But those are the things that, uh, that indicate what's in your heart, what have you already understood about fellowship and the importance of it. Well, let's look at uh, a couple of things on this. I'll 
First is just a little bit of background. Why is it, uh, why is, does it seem to be this difficult? Back in the beginning of the Bible, it tells us that we got a virus in our software back in the Garden of Eden when man fell into sin and man and woman ate of the tree that God had forbidden. Sin entered in, and some of the first things you notice as far as effects was the loss of relationship. God comes in the cool of the day and says, Adam, where are you? There was a break in the vertical dimension of relationship with God. But then in the next chapter, chapter 4, Cain kills Abel, and God comes in and says to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know which was a lie, am I my brother's keeper? And we see a break in the horizontal ability to relate. Many people live today in that same vein. The acid of sin has corroded their ability to relate to God and to relate to people. Have you noticed how self-destructive people tend to be and how it most affects their ability to relate in positive, constructive ways to other people. It tears down marriages. It destroys homes. It blows apart business relationships. It affects us in so many ways. Sin always separates. And a lot of the pain in your life has been in this area. We talk about the basics of the Christian life with, I don't have the illustration right here, but with a wheel illustration, um, this is the navigator's version of it rather than the one that's in our, our bulletin. But with Christ in the center and the four spokes of, of ways that we can be connected to Christ as the center and as a, the power in our life. And the vertical spokes are the, the, the Word of God and prayer and talk about our, the way we relate to God through the Scripture and through prayer. And then the horizontal dimension of fellowship and witnessing. And most people would say, well, as far as, well, how do you feel like you're doing in those areas? Are you reading your Bible? Well, there's sometimes we, we, you know, we've finally gotten on some kind of a plan that seems to be working, and we say, well, I'm kind of, and I, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I, I like listening to, I sometimes get the CDs and we'll listen to messages, well, okay, good. How about prayer? Well, you know, could always be better, but doing a little better there, and, but uh, I wish I was doing a lot better. How about witness? Well, don't even bring that one up. I've, I've always felt like a failure in that area. How about fellowship? Well, you know, you can always feel good about that one. You know, I feel like, well, I love my friends and relating to my church. And usually we feel like if of those four, the word, prayer, fellowship, and witnessing, if we were to give ourselves a grade, we would probably feel the most comfortable in the area of fellowship. Do you realize I feel like that's the area of greatest failing and sin in just about every Christian's life? That's the hard one. It's relatively easy to, to get on a plan where you're reading your Bible. It's, it's not impossible to get going in your prayer life. And as far as sharing your faith, you can learn some things. And even if it's just writing letters or putting something out on the Internet, you could do that. But I tell you what, it is very difficult to deal with relationships in your life. Now, I, there are plenty of people that there's not any problem with. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the ones that you're having right now a very difficult time uh, getting along with, even being in the same room with. You deal with it in different ways, but uh, people have wounded you, misunderstood you, rejected you, 
And frankly, it, it very much affects you. you. You try to deal with it, like I said, in different ways. It might be a parent. It might be a child. It might be a spouse. It might be a neighbor. Conflict comes in so many different ways. But it all comes from that original moment when we lost our ability to relate positively at the fall. Sin always separates. Well, let's uh, look at the second background thing of uh, the law of love. We looked at the loss of relationship. Secondly, the law of love. Jesus is, quotes this when he's asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says, the second one is like it. And he quotes this verse in Leviticus 19.18, one of your favorite books to do your Bible reading in, Leviticus. But right in the midst of that book was this interesting verse uh, where Moses writes, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I just found out this morning that that is the most quoted verse in the whole New Testament. Nine times in nine different places, in the Gospels, in the Epistles. And this law of love is the cardinal manifestation that Jesus is in your life. Jesus didn't say, well, they'll know you're Christians because you carry a big Bible under your arm and you read it all the time and you can quote it. People will know you're Christians because you are such a person of deep prayer and solitary meditation out in the desert. They'll know you're Christians because you talk to everybody about your faith. He says, no, they'll know you're Christians because you're, you're nice. You, you relate well. You communicate in loving ways. You listen well. You resolve conflict well. And even when everybody else is a beast, you somehow are able to bear with it and forgive them. It's not about just being religious. It's how are your relationships? One of the places it's quoted is Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says it's all about fellowship. It's all about relationships. And all your time in the word and in prayer is supposed to feed and nourish that. And yet you know people that are very religious, that are very cantankerous. <laughs> you may have met one at work. You may have a neighbor like that. And you say, well, I, it's not because they're a Buddhist or an atheist. I mean, it's sort of embarrassing. They're technically very Christian, but nobody can stand them. I hope nobody says that about you. The thing is, with loving your neighbor that came up in the gospel, Luke 10, 29, the, the response that the other person said when Jesus says, well, you just need to love your neighbors yourself, he said, well, who is my neighbor? That's one of the ways we try to get around things. We try to get picky about the definition. And we tend to define things in the way that's most convenient for us. Uh, we tend to be kind of shifty on it. But this is meant by God to be one, the center of gravity of your, of your Christian walk in the earth. Now, Jesus is supposed to be the center of your life, but as far as the way you live your life, one of the main things that God is always looking at is, how are you doing in all of your relationships? And like I said, since we tend to be shifty, we give ourselves great grades 
The question is, what, what, what would the other person say? What would your son say? Your spouse? What would your parents say? Not that they're necessarily going to be completely right, but they'll at least be a little more objective. Let's look at a third thing on the, the language of fellowship. The loss of relationship, the law of love, and the language of fellowship. The language of fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. If anyone ever asks you, by the way, where does the Bible say you should attend church? It's tough to find a really good verse on that. This is the best one I've found in 36 years. But he says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. That's the church part there. Other, other versions say not forsaking the congregation or something like that. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this, to me, captures two aspects, the language of, of fellowship. The first word, to stimulate or to spur on, is a word that uh, we get the English word paroxysm. That's not peroxide. Paroxysm is it's trans, it's, um, de defined as any sudden violent outburst. It's like as if you'd sat down on your chair today and there was a, a big tack and you didn't see it. And so all of us, you're, you know, you come in, you're all nicely dressed and, and very composed and you greet a few people, you sit down, and all of a sudden you're transformed, I mean, because of the pain. You just, ha, ah! like this, you know. You have a paroxysm, a sudden violent outburst because of that, that pain. And so that's why one of the translations of this verb is to spur on. You're not just leaning over and whispering something into the horse's ear, wouldn't you like to go a little bit faster? Uh, you're doing something that, that actually uh, has, a, has a, an immediate sort of an effect, of getting that, the, uh, the horse moving. So isn't that interesting? He says when he says, let's consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's, it's really quite a uh, learning how to provoke one another in the best way. And then the second uh, verb there, encouraging, that I want to notice is the word that uh, you've seen maybe in, your, in the Gospel of John, depending on your translation, when he talks about the Holy Spirit and he calls him the paraclete. It sounds like some kind of running shoe or something. But, um, but it comes from the, this verb that means to call alongside. It was used for a defense lawyer, that when you're standing there in the dock and they've accused you maybe falsely or something, or like this man we prayed for at the beginning, uh, he has a defense lawyer who comes along, who's called alongside to defend him and to, to put him in the best light possible. And that's the word used here that's translated encouraging. And so we have one word that's, that's uh, making somebody less comfortable but getting them moving in a way that's good and positive for them to become all they can be. And in the second word, we have something that's more of a, of a comforting, encouraging, uplifting, supporting. So it's really a twofold kind of a thing. Why is that? Well, because sometimes you don't need the nice pat on the back. You need somebody to uh, nicely prod you on with uh, the truth so that you won't be the slob you could be if nobody else ever tries to help you. 
But there are other times that you're hurting and you just need somebody to comfort you. And sometimes you need both. You have two different kinds of people in your life. You have one person that will tell you like it is, and the other person just loves you no matter what you do. So the good cop, bad cop, I guess. It's a good fellowship, bad fellowship, or no. But uh, the, the firm and the, the tender side of fellowship. As someone once said, we need to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And those are things that as we relate to each other, as we have uh, failings in our own life and they have failings, we have blind spots in our lives. And if no one will ever tell us the truth, how can we get any better? If people will just, uh, they see things that aren't right in ways we're being destructive in our own life to ourselves, to others, but no one will ever tell us, how will we ever know? And so we'll realize things are falling apart, but we don't know why. And so we need people in our lives that will tell us the truth. And we need to be willing to do that in others' lives. Do you have someone that speaks truth into your life? We all have blind spots. We need input. We need help. And we also need to learn to give it in helpful ways. Well, let's talk about a few things about what, what can we do? What are ways we can learn and grow that will improve the quality of our fellowship? And we'll honor the Lord. And I've uh, come up with five uh, fellowship muscles to work on. There are other things, but the list was going to get too long. But five areas that we can work on that will help us. One is to focus on serving. It, as you serve with a good heart, because the Lord has commanded you to do it, it does something for you. It, it, it helps you to not be so focused on yourself. You realize when you're focused on yourself, you're way too aware of people not focusing on you, not asking you questions or asking you, but you can tell they, don't, they, didn't, they just asked because who knows why they asked. Uh, they're just looking for their opportunity to say what they wanted to say. And, uh, but if you give yourself to serving according to the way God's made you, uh, you, you're not as difficult of a person as you could be. A person who stops serving is a person who starts complaining. Now, some people are still able to do both. I'm not saying if you're serving, you're not going to complain. But, you know, it helps. My mother's 85, and, and she still, she says every day she tries to not feel sorry for herself. My dad died 20 years ago. And so every day she's thinking, well, let me, help me to do something nice for somebody today. So she'll haul her 30-pound accordion down to the Alzheimer's ward and play the uh, uh, roll out the barrel for the gangs all here for the people in the Alzheimer's, you know. But that that's good for her. it. It makes her feel good, and uh, and it's a blessing also. Serving in in your home, in your church, uh, reaching out to others. Don't spend everything that God's given you on yourself. Don't mope around saying no one loves me. And don't grab onto people and smother them. I need fellowship. And you're the one. Who, I heard of one talk. He says, he says, you know, there's some people that are kind of like Christian leeches. And they go around and they latch on. They find somebody and they latch onto them. And they suck them dry until there's nothing left. And then they just pop them off like a raisinette and, and go off looking for somebody else. And the last thing they say as they go out the door is, you let me down. 
Don't be a Christian leech. Be a servant. Learn to give. And as you serve people, don't serve and relate with the secret agenda of that they're going to give you everything you were hoping they were going to give you. Don't smother people. Second, listening. You may not have anybody in your life that will really listen to you. Oh, you're around all kind of people, and everybody seems to be talking. And, but as one person said, so many conversations are the dialogue of the deaf. I wonder if you've ever learned to give the gift of yourself by giving the gift of a listening ear. And it can be tiring because if you go around and you're a good listener, then you'll have plenty of people that would like to talk to you. They have been looking for you. That does not necessarily mean they're going to return the favor. But that's part of being a servant. It's still a blessing to them. Learning to ask better questions. There are books on this. There's a book called 201 Great Questions to Ask. You can, you can, you can get better at it. I wonder if your spouse feels like you really listen to them. Have you ever even asked them the question? Do you feel like I really listen to you? I mean, you know, make sure you've had a good quiet time that day. It's a good day. You're feeling good because you may not be excited about the answer. But it's okay. If it's the truth, then they've given you a gift. They trusted you enough to admit that they think you could do a bit better. Do you know what active listening is? For those of you that are married, this is something they sometimes give as an exercise that can upgrade your communication. But you can use it in friendships as well. When someone shares something that's meaningful to them, and particularly if it's something about you that they are troubled about, that they don't like or whatever, active listening means you let them finish what they were saying. Instead of jumping in and said, wait, you know, let them, let them talk. Then, instead of defending yourself, changing the subject, accusing them, or telling them why it's because of things they do that you're forced into this form of behavior that they don't like, but hey, you change first. You let them finish what they're saying, and then the, the active listening part is, well, let me see if I heard you. And you try to say back to them what they said to you, what you think they said to you, in other words. So what you're trying to tell me is this and this and this and this, and then you quiet. And they will either say yes, or they'll say, well, it's not quite that. It's this and this and this. Oh, okay. So what you're trying to say then is this and this and this, until you can say it in other words, and they say, that's it. You have just accomplished active listening. Now, how does that make the other person feel? Valued? Listened to? And they may have said something that really hurt you or that was unjust. You're not saying necessarily that you agree with it. What you're saying is, I heard you. And that counts for something. Listening. If you can become a better listener, you will grow in fellowship. Third, learning. Your whole life is a process of learning and growing. Anybody that's 30 or older has noticed something in their parents. 
in general. I mean, not always. I'm sure some people just get better with age. But most people, as they get in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, most younger people would say they seem to be getting more difficult, a little more critical, a little more obstinate, a little more pushy, a little more manipulative. Maybe they're very subtle. But it's uh, the relating to them often becomes more difficult. They're not open to being corrected, etc. Friends, get ready. It's going to happen to everybody in here. Uh, I think it was Disraeli once said, God gave man speech so that he could better disguise his thoughts. But as you get older, your ability to cover up what you're actually thinking diminishes. And that's why you need to continually be instructing your heart because you're always getting ready for the rest of your life on earth. And so you don't want to put all of your energy just into hiding what you're thinking. You want the Lord to change how you think. And you want to continue to be open to reproof, open to correction. You want to be reading books like The Five Languages of Love. You want to be listening to messages because we're all captive to the tendency of the hardening of the categories, as somebody once said. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If anybody has the guts to tell you the truth about things that they think you could be doing better, they may, they're probably never going to be 100% right. It's okay. They've given you a gift because they can help you to reflect about yourself and sort through what they've said with an open heart and say, Lord, is there something about what they said that was correct? Maybe 95% of it was their emotion, their warped perspective, but 5%, I think maybe they were right. Help me to change in that. Are you open? Are you learning? Are you growing? The fourth one, Fourth key is forgiving, and this is one of the greatest keys. The older we get, the more mileage we have. You can change your car. You can't change your soul, and it gets pretty dinged up as you go through many different hands and relationships and situations, and you're no longer a brand-new Ford coming off the assembly line. You've had a couple of wrecks. You know, there's all kind of things that... uh, have worn you down, and many people will hurt you and let you down, and God has given us a way where we can get beyond it. You must learn to get over past hurts. I mean, if you've really been cut deeply, even if it heals, there'll be a scar, but at least it's not hurting all the time. I mean, you can see where it was, but it's not still bleeding and things crawling in it, it's been healed. It may not be possible to be buddy-buddy with uh, some some people are just too abusive. Uh, So by fellowship, I don't mean, and by doing all these things, I'm not saying that all of your relationships are going to work out. It always takes both parties doing at least some of their part. Paul says, but to the degree it depends on you, this is in Romans 12, to the degree it depends on you, Live at peace with all people. Comes up also with inheritance. 
you get to be my age, our age, most of us, and a lot of people in your family that were ahead of you go pass on, and there's a will, and where there's a will, there's an argument. <laughs> and uh, I remember my dad saying, I refuse to ever fight over a dead man's possessions. And I hope that you have that in your heart as well. That this issue of fellowship and serving the Lord is always more important to you than getting that particular painting from grandma's wall or whatever it might be. Learning to forgive and to release it, which would be its own message if we had time. And finally, initiating, taking the initiative. Many times we're way too passive when it comes to fellowship. We expect everybody else to do this with me. They need to listen to me. They need to serve me. They need to notice me when I walk in. And if they don't, I'm feeling bad, and I'm just going to sit there by myself and try to forgive them. He says, you need to initiate. He wants to make you an agent of love. And to the degree you're really throwing yourself into giving and loving and serving, guess what? You're not going to notice so much that other people aren't doing everything always just the way you'd like. Don't sit around and wait for others. Don't give just to get. Use your gift. I notice it sometimes with church suppers. And there'll be one person sitting all by themselves or a little couple over here. And maybe they're a little bit new. A family of our people walks in and they've got all their plate and they look around and they find an empty table to sit at. And I'm thinking, what a lost opportunity. I mean, maybe there are other things going on there, you know, but just thinking how often when we have a church supper, we look like a gas. But a gas... The interesting thing about a gas, I, I'm a, a mechanical engineering, sorry about that. But a gas always expands to fill whatever container it's in, right, Jim? You're not going to put this much gas in a room like this and it's going to stay here like it was a bubble or something. Those gas molecules will spread all out until they're very diverse, but spread out through this whole room. And so many times in fellowship or in the church sanctuary, we look like a gas, you know, the bigger the room you put us in, we're, we're going to fill it. You know, the time's not going to come. All of y'all could have fit in the first four or five rows. But it's just not going to happen. We're not going to make you do it either. Do whatever you want. Uh, but just to say that we have a tendency to not engage in fellowship. And we're the poorer for it. But also we can do something about it. You can begin to change the culture by... As you walk in, say, Lord, today, as I walk into that fellowship hall, not the eating hall, uh, the dance hall, it's not the bar, it's, it's the fellowship hall. As I walk into the fellowship hall, Lord, help me to have a fellowship mindset. Help me to have my eyes open, my heart open. Show me the people that I could greet today and make, feel, and make them feel happy they were here today. As I said, we tend to get worse and not better as we age. We tend to talk too much, complain too much. We put people under pressure. We get worse and worse at listening. 
We develop a more and more critical spirit. We get defensive. Now is the time to grow in our ability to relate positively and uh, in a healthy way with others. And I'd just like to say, make God your best friend. Otherwise, you will tend to smother people. And you'll call it love. You may have a mother, mother-in-law, parent, somebody in your life that as far as they're concerned, oh, it's just I'd like to be with you. But they are so smothering and so manipulative. And so and anything you do for them, it's not enough. It's exhausting. My friend, that's the person you are going to become unless you take in God's truth and let him change you. I think about how lessons I've learned in my own life in, in uh, fellowship, and I've all, always got new things to learn. What I'm learning right now is, uh, is next week we send off our youngest child off to college. Our oldest is back now, but, uh, but it's okay. He's, uh, he's, he's on autopilot, so we're not worried about him. But I have the challenge now in terms of fellowship. How can I live my life with my wife even though we are so different? How can we search out the mind of God in putting two people that are so different? How can we walk the same path together and not kill each other or hate each other? But I believe that's the holy grail of matrimony, is what do you do when the kids are no longer there? Do you just give up and resign to be a maid and a butler who share closet space, as one person put it, are you going to learn how to walk together? I learn it with my kids in trying to be a dad who listens, asks better questions, in initiating with them, and also being willing to continue to speak into their lives, even as adults, in appropriate ways. I learn it with my colleagues because Often ministers can be like the tracks on a train. They run parallel. There's not necessarily any conflict, but there's not necessarily any real connection. And I'm asking God, deliver me from, from my tendency to just be a lone ranger. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rebel. I'm selfish. I'm proud. All those things work that way. But the Bible says, Henry, if you really love me, you won't be satisfied with that and you will move toward other people that God has put in your life and trust God for something better than that. I'm learning it in trying to fight a critical spirit. The more things you learn, the more ammunition you've got, and the more things you think you know, then the more evaluative you get of every situation and every person. You think, stop that, stop that. Don't, you know, just turn it off. <laughs> but to continue to force yourself toward uh, forgiving and forgiving and being more gracious. And finally, to being, I'm trying to continue to be open to learning. And as God brings people into my life that will say things very directly and bluntly, to see them as a friend and not an enemy. I need people that have the guts to tell me what they think they see. They don't have to be completely right. I believe God has sent them. Will you keep learning and growing? You can make this church a more loving and safe place, but not if you're focused 
on how you're not getting what you want and what you need. Let God turn you from a drain into a fountain. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, the Bible says two are better than one, but we have no idea how destructive we are without meaning to be in our own relationships. Lord, we notice it in others so clearly. It's in us too, Lord. And sin always separates. Problem is we're not very honest with ourselves. And we think it's everybody else's fault. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord, to be open to you showing us ways in which we could change, learn, grow. Thank you for the people in our life that are outspoken and are willing to help us when we're wrong. And even if they say some things that are unkind, untimely, it's okay, Lord. We can bring those things to you, examine them in prayer, retain what's good, and leave the rest. It's all right. I pray that you would continue to work in us as we try to follow Jesus, that one of the best manifestations that we belong to you is that we love one another, that we're characterized by great friendships, that we know how to overcome conflict, that we're full of forgiveness and grace, that we know how to speak the truth in love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.